your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap down, the kick is up, and the kick is good! Here's Lane! Huskers win it 13-10. They beat Northwestern and go to 4-2. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, Thursday night, Sports Highly on the Husker Sports Hour. Hope you had a good day today, one day closer to another weekend. Almost, can we, I guess we can call it summertime weekend. I know we're not officially in the summer season, but we are past Memorial Day. Austin gave you the rundown of today's Sports Highly Baseball League action. We had a fun time today because former Husker and current Major League pitcher Aaron Bummer joined us for about 45 minutes of that today. Aaron signed a fairly lucrative contract a couple of months ago with the Chicago White Sox, and uh, it was always always good to hear from Aaron and so happy and proud of him and what he's been able to do. He's overcome a lot, Ben. This is a guy that was not a high draft pick but worked himself into a, a major league situation, and it looks like he's set up for some good things happening to him in the future. Yeah, it was great to hear from him today, and you know we knew that 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 was a young man with with pretty exciting talent coming to Lincoln and at a pretty high ceiling. He certainly harnessed that and you know was was a draft pick uh, in the in the middle rounds at at nineteen and um, you know just kept climbing the ladder, climbing the ranks. You're left-handed, you can throw ninety-seven. Good things are going to happen, um, mm-hmm. and, and that certainly happened for him. And he, he you know he told us the story today of getting the call up and you know, being, being a big league pitcher and, uh, you know, now being one of the premier bullpen arms in, in all of baseball. It's, uh, it was really exciting today. He was really young. He was like uh, Ivan Wadrago, who was we talked about a lot during the winter, only 17 years old. Aaron Bummer was 17 when he started school in Nebraska. I think he turned 18 mid-year in the spring. But um, he was a young guy coming out of high school and, uh, had a great time in Nebraska and talked a lot about some of his fond, fond memories of being in Lincoln with us earlier today. Speaking of Husker baseball, we're going to have a game for you tomorrow night on our greatest games. We're going to go back a year to the Saturday night game of the Big Ten tournament a year ago when Nebraska took on Michigan, who ended up making it to the final game of the year in college baseball. Had a chance to win a national championship. Huskers played Michigan front of a fun, raucous crowd on Saturday night at TD Ameritrade. We'll have that for you tomorrow night. Uh, brought to you by the Nebraska Lottery. It's part of our greatest games. Looking forward to it. We've not, I don't think we've done a baseball rebroadcast before, so it'll be fun to listen back to that tomorrow night. Coming up here in a couple of minutes, Robbie Pockert's going to join us. He was the star of that game. Came in relief and worked with five innings, five-plus innings. Ben in, in relief to get the win in that one. Yeah, I think he threw almost 100 pitches. I think he was in the 90s with his pitch count, and I'm looking forward to asking Robbie about that because he hadn't thrown anything close to that since coming back from his arm surgery that he had. So it was a Superman heroic-type effort out of him that night, and there's no way the Huskers would have won without him. One of his last appearances as a Cornhusker, certainly a memorable one, so we'll – uh, reflect back with Robbie here in just a couple of minutes. You know, we've talked um, so much. We talk so much Husker football here in the program, and you look ahead of the schedule coming up in in the fall for Nebraska, and you look at the three non-conference games, and everybody points, and rightfully so, to Cincinnati as the Bearcats finish last year ranked in the top twenty. They're gonna they're gonna start the year in, in everybody's preseason top twenty-five. The Bearcats are going to be a real challenge for the Huskers come the fall. The other two non-conference games, Central Michigan was in a bowl game last year, and South Dakota State, and I saw Ben earlier today, an FCS poll that had the Jackrabbits number two in the country behind North Dakota State, the Bison of the defending national champions. But don't sleep on SDSU, and I remember they came down here, oh, eight, nine years ago and acquitted themselves quite nicely. They had a running back by the name of Zenner, who's had a decent NFL career, primarily with the Detroit Lions. But South Dakota State's going to be a sneaky good game, I think, for Nebraska come uh, this football season in the fall. Yeah, it's one of those games that, you know, fans really kind of want on paper. You know, we we, we kind of did something like this on a top ten list not that long ago about, you know, putting together a schedule. Somebody recommend North Dakota State, like, 
I don't see the value in that, you know, to to play a team that has already proven they can beat Power 5 opponents while, you know, risking a loss in your non-con and a win over them doesn't really say much to the other teams in the country. Yeah. So it's it's a lose-lose situation to be in. And, you know, you're right. That's They're not NDSU dominant, but they're a very formidable FCS team that – have already proven that if you don't take them seriously, they're going to come in and hit you in the mouth, and, and you might not like that too much. So, yeah, that's a that's a game that the Huskers need to be prepared for. And there's some Nebraska players on that roster. The, Nebraska has had some guys who've started their their uh, college football career in Lincoln and transferred to South Dakota State. So that caught my eye today when I was uh, perusing some of the uh, some of the pre-show prep and saw South Dakota State number two in the preseason poll. They have had some unbelievable battles with North Dakota State. They're both in the same league. They're both in that Missouri Valley Conference in college football. Those have been the two best programs in that league for a while. Uh, that's going to be a that's going to be an interesting game. And you know the folks of uh, that support South Dakota State, th- this is a huge, huge game for them. They can be a chance to, to come to Lincoln. They had a great turnout down here a couple years ago. Hopefully uh, we'll be able to get some of them in the building for that one. But uh, keep keep your uh, – don't sleep on that one. Uh, if we get that one going in September for Nebraska, that is supposed to be the Huskers' third game of the year. Right now, the way, as the way the schedule sits, it's Purdue to open it and then Central Michigan followed by South Dakota State before that Cincinnati game. And you just – you know the Huskers will need to be locked in for South Dakota State, not thinking ahead of that Cincinnati game with the Jackrabbits come to town for their matchup um, coming up in September. Coming up tomorrow, it's the greatest games baseball style. The first time we've delved into the diamond for our greatest games feature, and it will be a game from last season, Nebraska and Michigan in the semifinal game that sent the Huskers to the Big Ten Championship against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Huge reason why they made that championship appearance was Robbie Palkert, who joins us now. Robbie, I think you threw right around 100 pitches in that game with with Michigan, something you hadn't done the entire season, pitched even remotely that, that many pitches. How, how did your arm feel that next day? Uh, how did you feel in just in general with your arm uh, after a pitching that many against the Wolverines in that semifinal? Uh, tired, I think is the best word, <laughs> but, but well worth it. Um, you know, I would have done whatever we had, um, in order to win that game. So did not care how I felt the next day, as long as we came out with a W. As, as you know, when it gets to be that, that time of the year, and I think, I think both us and Ohio state played, played every game that you had to play to get to the championship, you know, once in a tournament format, guys are going to have to, you know, be a man a little bit and uh and maybe go, do do something you haven't done before what Robbie the, the the thing that I remember most about about that tournament is is really the feeling that I had with the boys coming into the tournament that that last series with Michigan seems to give you guys a lot of confidence what do you remember feeling after beating Michigan in that series and getting ready for Omaha I think we were confident going in. I also think we had, we'll say, a chip on our shoulder. I mean, we had just beaten Michigan to come in, um, but we had still felt like we were the number one team in the conference, um, and the standings didn't show that. So we were frustrated about it. We wanted to, you know, obviously come out on top in the regular season, so we wanted to kind of show everybody that, hey, we think we're the best team in the conference, so let's show them why. Um, so we were playing with confidence. We also had, again, we had that chip on our shoulder, but – you know, I think we it was a bunch of uh, pissed-off Huskers, as, as we always like to say. We were ready to prove something, and uh, what better time to do it than in Omaha and as well as, uh, you know, with the Big Ten, everybody watching. What tone did that Minnesota game set for you? It's one thing to kind of have that attitude and to think that, but it's another thing to actually start doing it on the field. What, what did that first game with the Gophers – uh, it was a night game. You had Waldron on the mound. You're going up against the pitcher of the year in the conference from the year before. What tone did that set for the whole tournament? I think it helped a ton. I mean, it showed that, A, we could win in a tournament format, and I think also it showed that we could beat a good team. Um, if I remember correctly, I think Minnesota was ranked a little lower. Um, I don't remember what exactly their seed was, but like you kind of talked about, they had the pitcher of the year from the year before and, and Pat Fredrickson and they had a good team. They just had a little bit of an injury bug, it seemed like, um, through, throughout the year. And and that was a huge win. I mean, it, it showed, again, that we could win in a tournament setting. We could beat a good team. 
Um, albeit their record was low, we felt like they were the, one of the tougher teams that we knew we were going to play. Um, and we knew, you know, they they had taken it to us a little bit earlier in the year, so um, it's a nice way to get back at them as well. I think it was the first time we played them, it was 28 degrees maybe on a Sunday yeah. morning, and it just was not great. So to be able to, to get them on our turf, I guess, a little bit in Omaha was was nice. It set the tone really for, I think, every game moving forward um, and kind of, again, just showed that, that we could do it. I think that everybody needed to see that. That being said, um, obviously dismantling Iowa, everybody felt good about that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was well documented. Yeah, your guys' quote unquote struggles against the Hawkeyes. I had a feeling the entire dugout was tired of hearing about that um, <laughs> before sure. that before that game. But the the game that, that that impressed me the most was was the Michigan game, obviously that we're going to play tomorrow night. But um, the way that, that that game went earlier in the day, you guys, I think. You know, you had a few hours in between. What was kind of the mood and the mentality knowing, you know, what they had just done to you on that field and, you know, knowing they were fighting for their season too? You know you were going to see, you know, a Michigan team that was going to come out with their hair on fire too. But what, after that first result with the Wolverines, what was the, the, the mindset like there in the hotel worrying about playing another game in just a little while? Yeah, it was – I think it, it was a mixture of things. I think first off we were – uh, we were all just focused on getting back onto the field because um, we felt like for sure that that game did not, I guess that game didn't show what we had. We felt like, I think we, we felt like we just played a poor game and, and all of the, the marbles fell into the wrong place, honestly, is what it felt like. Um, we also had a bit of confidence going in, if I remember correctly, because Michigan had used a bunch of their pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had gone through a lot of guys and, you know, honestly, even when we were down in that game, our goal was just to continue to grind out their pitching staff because, you, like you talked about, a tournament is a complete marathon. you got to get through every single game. And if you're playing five games in four days, five games in five days, whatever it t- comes out to be, it takes a toll on your whole team, not just your pitching staff. So we had a bit of confidence going in, even though we were depleted as well. Um, but I was, also, I was also looking forward to it because I knew we had a group of guys that we're going to put the team on their back and we're going to talk about it and and say, all right, you saw what happened. You get 12 minutes to get over it, now get over it, right? We're back on the field. We're back on the hill. We're back in the batter's box. Whatever it may be, we're back doing it, and we're going to show them, hey, we just kicked their butt in a series. They kicked our butt this morning. Great. Let's go back and do it to them again. Um, so plenty of opportunity moving in. And, yeah, I mean, it, don't get me wrong, that, that game before – that takes the life out of you. <laughs> I mean, it sucks. It sucks to get your teeth kicked in. Um, but again, you just got to keep coming out and fighting. And that, I mean, that was the motto of our team. And I think we stuck to that pretty well. It's it's really cool seeing how parts of the team bond together. And I know you, the st- the pitching staffs are always really close. And so you guys ran out of freshman and Kyle Perry, who, who pitched pretty well for three innings. And then I think I think you, you got it in the middle middle part of the game. What's that like as an older guy to see a young buck? And, and Kyle's a really competitive dude. I mean, when you when you see a guy like that and a moment like that pitch well, what's that do to your emotion? You know, right before you come into a game. It was great. I mean, he set the tone for that game. Um, and Kyle went out there and knew that he had to give it everything he had in order to put us in a position to win. Um, and to come out of that game, I think it was, I mean, it was like a one-to-one game or, I mean, it was, it was low scoring and it's just like, okay, he gave us a chance to win. And I think as a pitcher, that's the only job that you're asked to do is give us a chance in this ball game. Um, and obviously the way to do that is to not give up very many runs. Um, and so he set the tone and when you come in behind somebody like that, it, it, it makes such a big difference. It, it it gives you confidence because the you know the things have been going well, but there's also a good tempo to the game. I mean that game flew by pretty quickly for those first couple innings, and you know I sat out in the bullpen for the whole game, waiting for my opportunity and saying okay, and I'm ready to go whenever it is. You know whether it be two pitches into the game or seven innings into the game, um, it doesn't really matter. Just ready to be out there and throw. As the game progressed and you went through inning after inning after inning. Uh, I know you probably had conversations with with Darren. You had conversations with Ted in between innings about how you were feeling. What was that like? You know, because you had never done that before. You hadn't thrown that many pitches before. What what was the in between inning conversation like about get in, get me another one, get me another one, get me another one? What was that that process as the game played out? You know, it was it was interesting because I had been complaining for not complaining, but I had been talking for four years about how I wanted to start a ball game. 
Um, and for four years, I've been I've been trying, just begging, begging for a chance um, to get out there and throw more than you know two, three innings. Um, and I finally got my chance, and and I was so I'll say angry um, just to get out there and do it. That even between the innings, I, I swear I said probably five words to Coach Silva or Coach said during that whole game. Um, the only time we talked was was into the eighth, I believe, when we scored a couple extra. Um, and they said, do you want the ninth? And I said some choice words, and I said, let's do it. <laughs> and got out there. Um, I was pissed off, man. I, I mean, pissed off in a good way. I, I was ready to win. I was ready to to get us to that championship game and, and to do whatever it took. I, I mean, I didn't care if my arm fell off. I've been through that once before. Let's do it again. Why not? If we can win a championship, I'm all on board. The, the really cool thing, Robbie, was was the feeling before the game. You know, I, I can get a sense of where you guys are at by by talking to talking to you guys before a game. And I don't know that I've ever seen a team as locked in as I have before before that that second Michigan game. And you know, emotions were running hot. Um, and you know, it was kind of just a culmination of the year. You know, right? You had the dust up at second. You had played those guys five times in like six days. Uh, yeah. well, as that game was progressing and the emotion got hotter and hotter, I mean, have you have you been a part of a game like that, may, other than maybe Oklahoma State later on, that you know you, you, you're so invested and in hanging on every pitch that you know, like every second that passes by feels like an hour long. Oh, that was that was 100% the most exhausting game I've ever played in my career, um, from a physical standpoint, but also from a mental standpoint. I mean. I remember talking about it in my post-game interview even. I, they asked how I felt, and they were like, are you going to get a good night's sleep tonight, or are you guys going to be up all night? And I was like, "Are you kidding? Like, I'm going to fall asleep immediately when I get home. Like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and you kind of touched on it. it. It's that focus and intensity that starts, honestly, three hours before the game even. right? You're, you're getting locked in. You're getting your warm-up in. You're getting your band work in. You're everything. I mean, you are 110% locked in. And, you know, as a, as a bullpen guy, too, when you, when you start down – in the bullpen from inning number one, right? So normally we go down there in the fifth or sixth inning. That's when you get loose, you get ready to roll. But when, you know, Skipper tells you, hey, we don't know when you're going to be used. We need you ready. Every single pitch you are watching, you are learning tendencies, everything. It was exhausting. But I think you kind of touched on it, that, you know, emotions were flying high. And I think I think it's a combination of a couple things, one being we had played each other a lot lately. We had those little dust-ups with – with Angelo and Jack Blomgren and, and the rest of their team and, and the rest of our guys even too. But I think a lot of that came from one, just competitiveness, but two, I mean, I think both teams had utmost respect for each other. I mean, as two teams just working their, their quote unquote balls off for, to get something done. And, and I think it, it culminated into, you know, one team was on the winning side and the other team was on the losing side. And, and of course, emotions are going to fly high and nobody wants to get their butt beat. Um, so again, it was, it was a comp, it was a competitive thing, but it was also, I think a great deal of respect for them, and I think they had that for us as well. It was just a heck of a game, man. I, I, I can't say any like good or bad things else out of it. It was just awesome. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and, and at the end of it, my God, did I sleep like a baby, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, you, you deserved it. You're, I think I even tweeted out something about you being Superman that night too because we needed all of it. I mean, Colby came in and, and finished it out, but uh, let's fast forward a little bit to, to, the, to the regional um, mm -hmm. And obviously Oklahoma State happened and, you know, to have to come back and play that next day, it's, nobody could have done that, the, the way that that thing ended. But that that time, Robbie, is, is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. Um, you know, the, I've never had a tougher loss to have a season end, and then we get home, and, you're, and your head coach is saying that he's stepping down. What all emotion – did you feel in that 48 hour stretch and have you ever had anything like that before <laughs> i think if you if you were to look up i don't know top 20 emotions that people feel i think i would have felt every single one of those within oh within like a four day span i mean going from from beating yukon from the start um and then going you know and, and honestly pretty much pounding Oklahoma State into submission for the first seven, eight innings of that ball game. And then to have it completely get all flipped upside down. I mean, that that Oklahoma State lineup can swing. And, and we knew that going in, and, and Matt did such a great job. Shea came in and did a good job. And then Colby honestly did a fine job as well. They just ran into a pitch. I mean, it, it literally is the difference. That ball is the difference between being a pop-up and, and a 
I mean, it was an absolute bomb. The kid hit the hell out of that ball. Um, you know, the, the difference is, is an inch here there, which is insane. Um, but it just shows, man, that, that, that things can flip upside down. Like I said, we come back and, and we have probably the hardest baseball game that <laughs> you could ever imagine. You play, what, less than 12 hours later against another good UConn. I mean, that UConn team was was real good. I mean, yeah, we won. They could hit. What a, yeah, we were, what, 1-1 one, one against them, but they pounded out 30 hits, I think, in two games. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah. absurd. Um, I mean, we won that first game giving up 20 hits. I mean, that's incredible. Um, so, I mean, that's a credit to our offense and everything, which is great. But, yeah, to come out in that game, that, I mean, that was a big, just a dud. And then and then you go home, and, and the skipper tells you he's leaving. Um, so just just a whirlwind of things. I mean, so many things going on. Um, wouldn't trade any of it for the world. I mean, my gosh, I mean, those are experiences that, I mean, that you can talk about forever. Um, but every emotion in the book, man. Ben, you could list off as many as you want, man. Angry, sad, happy, crying, whatever. I mean, whatever it may be. I mean, all of them. <laughs> what do you, What do you remember about pulling in to Haymarket? I mean, because I'm from what I'm told, from what I recollect, he, he basically just told you guys team meeting. I mean, what what do you, what do you tell people about what went down and and really like the, the time from the announcement came to when you knew there was a team meeting? What was going through your mind? I guess so. We didn't really have any idea. Um, we were pulling in and we got, I believe we got a text or coach Silva had kind of stand up, stood up and we got back and said, Hey guys, let's meet in the locker room. And you know, we, at that point we were all kind of, I mean, we weren't over losing. I think everybody was still very upset. Don't get me wrong. But then you start to think about, okay, you know, the, some of these seniors and, and guys, this is our last time playing with them. And so you start to enjoy the time and you, you have fun on the bus and, and everybody honestly was having a good time. We were we were enjoying ourselves, spending the last you know bus trip with that that group of guys. Um, we get off the bus, we get in, and we're just thinking you know it'd be your typical hey guys you know I appreciate everything you did. Let's you know have some individual meetings. Um, and that was just not how that conversation went. Um, everybody was there, whether it be Renee in the office, all the coaches, um, you know Lubach was there. Uh, I mean everybody and. And they dropped the bomb on us, <laughs> and I think everybody just kind of sat there stunned. Um, there wasn't a whole lot, lot to be said. It, you know, we all just kind of sat there, and and uh, I don't know. I mean, that was one of the weird, like like I said, one of the weirder days that I've ever had. But you know, I sat in the I sat in the locker room for oh god, it must have been three hours. I mean, Chad and I and and the group of the older guys, and just kind of waited until until coach was done talking to people, made our rounds, went and talked to him, and. Um, you know, that was that it was, it's an emotional day. Um, you know, I think if you talk to, I can only speak for, for myself, obviously, but I know a lot of the other guys in our class felt the same way. I mean, you spend four years with somebody and, and you're around them. Oh God. I mean, over 40 hours a week, I, I mean, it sucks. It, it really does. But you know, he made a decision that was best for him and, and you can't fault him. I mean, I'm utmost respect for, for coach Erstad and, uh, you know, I miss all those coaches dearly now too. I mean, now that I've moved on, it's it's tough, man. I mean, you can't get those memories back. So, yeah, and that's just it for you. It didn't stop. You had another decision to make whether you wanted to keep playing or not. And I know you you were really set up well academically. You had gone through an injury. You had been through about everything there is to go through in a college career. Um, what was it, Robbie, that that finally you decided? You know what? I, I need to move on. I need to start my life. It's you know, my, it's time to close my my baseball chapter and you know, beyond being an adult, an adult? Oh, so many things. Um, you know, I looked back on, on what I missed throughout college and just as far as being around family and being around friends. Um, but I also looked at it where, you know, I was there for four years. I had a heck of a time. I mean, I, I, I would never have gone anywhere else. I loved the University of Nebraska. Um, but what it kind of came down to was I was pretty burnt out. I, and I think we kind of talked about how – the last couple of weeks of the year were super emotional and I was ready, I think just for a new challenge. Um, and you know, I found, I found a job and I love it. And I think it was a combination of that, but also being done with school. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I did, I did all right in school and I, I succeeded and I, and I got through it all. Um, I had no aspirations of going to grad school and going back. Um, you know, it, it's just tough and, the, and there's not one thing I think that, that you can kind of point to that says like, oh, this is what, you know, this is what did it. I was done. Um, 
But I mean, I will say like, you know, coach Urstad leaving played a part as well. You know, I loved working with him. I loved working with coach Silva, coach Kerb, you know, Pritch, I mean, all those guys. And, and it felt like me, it was, I, I would have been starting over. Um, God, I mean, I love Coach Bolt. I, I mean, I've had tons of good conversations with him, um, as well as, you know, Christy and, and Harvell and uh, the rest of the guys. I mean, I had great conversations with all of them. Um, you know, God, I would have played with them, no problem. Um, but when you add it all together, yeah. um, it just seemed, you know, it just didn't seem like the right thing for me, and I was ready for a new challenge and, and ready to, uh, honestly, to, to just kind of move on and, and, you know, maybe, hey, do some coaching, go play some softball, play pickup basketball. I mean, honestly, there's so many different things where, hey, I want to try something new, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll always quote this from, from Coach Silva. This has been one of my favorite things he ever said. Is he, I called him on the way home. I was driving to Minneapolis to go see my parents, and he says, you know, Robbie, you're going to miss it regardless. Excuse me. He said, you're going to miss this regardless of if you retire today, if you retire in a year, or if you retire like Coach Erstad did after a 15-year playing career. Regardless of when you're done, you're gonna miss it. He goes, so don't let that factor into your decision. You're just like it's gonna happen no matter what. Okay, so mm -hmm. think about where you're at, and really like think about what you want your life to be and, and where you see yourself going. And that just put it in perspective. You know, I'm gonna miss baseball regardless. I mean, and I think everybody is. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it's gonna happen. You know, so so taking that out of it was was a lot easier. Um, you know, because I had the regret. It was just like, oh crap. You know, if I, if I stop playing, you know, what happens when I want to go pick up a baseball, you know, and, and what happens if I want to go be in the locker room with the guys, you know, that's going to go away sometime anywhere, you know, mm -hmm. it just depends on when and, and going out of my terms was, was, you know, my, my decision. And it's a lot easier to sleep at night when you make that choice. And I could tell you personally, I, I've seen it, you know, usually we can tell, you know, if guys are, are coming from the right place when they make their decision or not. And having known you like I do, I, I never doubted for a second that you were making the right decision. Um, and it's, you know, you can tell, you can tell guys that are motivated by right and wrong factors. And that was never the case for you. And I, we've kept in contact. I know you're doing well and you're really enjoying mm -hmm. yourself, which is great. Um, it's a positive thing. Before we let you go, Robbie, what do you think about the current Huskers? You know, follow, following the team from afar, having to be a fan like everybody else, seeing guys mm -hmm. like Cam Chick and Jackson Hallmark and some of these guys that were, were younger players kind of take the reins that, that you older guys pass down to these younger players. I'm pumped for them, man. I, I mean, I kept in touch with, with most of the guys here throughout the year. Um, you know, I even, I even posted something about it when, when it all came crashing down. Um, yeah, I feel for them, man. I mean, to get, to get a season taken away like that, like it did right now is that's not easy. Um, you know, I got a season taken away from me for injury. Um, and I felt that that was out of my control. Um, never did I think that a pandemic would hit mm -hmm. and it would be even that much further out of our control. Um, but I love these guys, man. They're, they're going to be successful. Um, they got a good group. I don't know any of the younger guys that came in as well. Um, but what I do know is the culture there is, is incredible. Um, Coach Bold is going to build that thing up. He's going to do very, very well. Um, like I said, I have the utmost respect for him and the rest of that coaching staff. Um, they're an incredible, incredible group of guys. Um, that that team is going to be fun, man. They're they're going to be good. They're coming back out. I know they're going to be angry next year. Um, and you know what Coach Urstad always used to say is, "Don't get in front of a, a group of pissed off Huskers." Um, <laughs> they're going to do well, man. They're they're going to be great. And you know, like I said, I, I love all of them. You know, if they're listening, love you guys. Appreciate everything you did for me, and uh, hopefully, uh, I could pass things along as well. That's the best part about this whole transition is is this the culture that that Coach Urstad laid is one that Coach Bolt knows well. It's one that he respects. It's one that he he mimics to a certain degree. So there's not the whole you know, weird transition period, culture shift. It's, it made the transition for us really easy. Losing a guy like Coach Erstad is not easy ever, but it would have made it a lot more difficult if we had a guy that we didn't know come in and, you know, kind of take things over and do things his own way. So even just from our standpoint, uh, we couldn't have been mm -hmm. happier with the hire and just can't wait to see where this thing goes. Um, no, but, I bet. Yeah, it's it's been it's been awesome. This this year was tough having it cut short. I think we just started to learn who these guys were and what type of team they were going to be. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's going to have to wait till next February, and you'll have to wait mm -hmm. along with us. Robbie, it was so good to see you, man. Great to hear you're doing well. Um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. It's great to see uh, you know you thriving in your new role, and you know hopefully uh, 
hopefully things with baseball can turn around real soon and we can enjoy it together. Thanks a lot for reminiscing with us. I appreciate it, man. It's always good to, good to be on here, and uh, hopefully I'll see you guys in the stands here grab a hot dog sometime. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Sponsored by Bathfitter, for the beautiful bath you've always wanted, kickstart your bathroom remodel by visiting bathfitter.com today. Now, here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. It is Thursday night, and time to head to Chicago and talk to our man, Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune, who I guess the biggest story in the state's been Lovey Smith's beard is gone. Is that, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, Lovey Claw is no longer. So, kids, you can still believe in Santa Claus, <laughs> but Lovey Claus is uh, not going to be coming around on Christmas Eve uh, while the rest of us are growing our bad quarantine beards. Lovey is uh, zigging instead of zagging and uh, went clean shaven and uh, certainly the reaction on Twitter mostly negative I think people feel oh. like that was such a signature item that they wanted him to keep it I always thought it was strange because you have all these coaches like say Nick Saban who clearly dyes his hair and Bill Self who I'm not sure what's going on up there but they all care so much about looking as young as possible because they're recruiting you know 15 16 17 year old kids and Lovey had done the opposite he that beard made him look 10 years older than he was <laughs> oh, it's classic stuff. Well, I know you had a chance to talk to the state's other Big Ten football coach, Pat Fitzgerald. What's he think about where we're headed and some of the stuff that's coming up here uh, in the near future with college football? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, the football coaches who I've spoken to are being pretty smart, and they're not getting into the big picture stuff. You know, they're leaving that to the athletic directors and presidents and chancellors and they don't even really know what's going on, but at least they have some idea because they're on all these Zoom calls, even though it, you know, the vibe seems to change every 48 hours. So Fitz was there more to talk about, you know, his new quarterback, Peyton Ramsey, who was transferred in from Indiana. And uh, Fitz said he will, you know, provide competition. If Peyton Ramsey can't beat out Northwestern's quarterbacks from last year, we got a problem. Uh on one leg, I think he could be the starting quarterback. So um, that is certainly good news for Northwestern, which had the worst quarterback play in America last year. So Fitz is certainly excited. What's tricky about Northwestern and Illinois and NIU and all these schools in state is Illinois has some of the toughest restrictions. So we are just getting into phase three, which actually starts tomorrow. So it's a little unclear what that will mean in terms of the size of the gatherings. I think what's going to happen with Illinois and Northwestern, I think Illinois is going to start to get together next week for voluntary stuff. And then Northwestern is going to be two or three weeks into June. And it sounds like uh, groups of nine will be uh, the biggest in terms of working out and meeting. We had Nebraska's president on last night, and, and he, he's been pretty aggressive with some of his moves, yes. announcing several weeks ago that he is planning on having school open in the fall and, and the people here. That seems to be kind of making its way around the league, some of his comments. Well, you're right. You know, I talked to Jim Phillips, the athletic director at Northwestern, and he said he referred to Bill Moose, his colleague, the athletic director, of course, and he said Bill is very bold on – believing Nebraska has some of the fewest cases, you know, per capita in the state. Lincoln is, you know, the safest spot in Nebraska. The campus is the safest spot in Lincoln. So Nebraska, I believe, is being the most aggressive in terms of having players come back. And that's going to be incredibly useful for all of the Big Ten because they are going to analyze how Nebraska does it, how it does its testing, what the school is going to do in reaction to a player testing positive for the coronavirus. And, you know, learn from this school and hopefully Nebraska will make no mistakes, but that's probably impossible. So just as the country is learning from Italy and uh, South Korea and, uh, you know, all the different countries that were more affected by COVID before the United States, the Big Ten is looking forward to getting a lot of data from Nebraska. And I think it's great. You know, I mean, other programs, look, where Rutgers is, New Jersey is obviously much more of a hotbed. I'd be concerned about that program, but the fact that Nebraska's going ahead, being aggressive, is going to be very helpful to the league. 
You know, Teddy, the, Gary Barta had a press gathering today. Ohio State put out a yep. ticket plan today. Iowa State's talked about we're just going to have 30,000 at our football stadium. Yep. I, I mean, everybody's trying to find the right formula, but I don't know that anybody totally knows yet, right? And we still have, but the good news is we still have three weeks or three months before we have to start this thing or try to start this thing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, I've heard on radio people are so skeptical about a 50% crowd. I, I, I understand what they're saying, but keep in mind, I mean, the world changed basically on March 11th. And so it feels like it's been two years, but it's only been two and a half months. And right, we're months away from a potential start of the season. And then, you know, the folks who are talking about getting larger crowds, clearly they're not talking about September. They're talking about that as a goal for November and December. I think there's a pretty good chance after talking to Jim Phillips and the athletic director at Northern Illinois named uh, Sean Frazier, I think there's a pretty good chance that this, that the season does not begin on time. Those guys indicated that, you know, a truncated schedule is possible. Uh, a schedule that starts maybe late September or October is certainly possible. Uh, they're already talking about the possibility of delaying the Big Ten championship game from its usual spot on that first Saturday of December. So I think all that's possible. The tricky thing then is you've got schools like Notre Dame, which are saying we're going to open earlier and send the kids home for Thanksgiving break and leave them home through Christmas so they don't have the case of, you know, kids going home and bringing it back to campus. So you've got a lot of clashing ideas there. But those guys, they were definitely leaning in, uh, in my talks with them this week about, you know, there is going to be a season but not going to start on time. Again, visiting Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. While I think we're all optimistic we will see some college football in the fall, I don't know yeah. that I have that optimism, Teddy, for Major League Baseball. They've really been spitting at each other back and forth. Scott Boros appears yes. to be getting his nose involved in some things. Uh, with each passing day, I, I'm getting more skeptical that we'll see any Major League Baseball this summer. Where do you come down on that? Greg, I will predict that we will have baseball because both sides have so much to lose if they don't come together on a deal. So think about it like this. I mean, if the players, you know, if they can't come on a, come together on a deal, if they don't sign anything, they get no money. They get no service time. Um, they're out for an entire year. Like, what does that do to their bodies? And, and think about if you're, you know, a 27-year-old major league player right now. I mean, how anxious are you to get out of the house <laughs> to start doing something? So that's a group that's highly motivated to sign on. Then think about the owners. Yes, they stand to lose some money, which I think they should be okay with. You know, the average franchise is worth about $1.6 billion and increases in value about 5% every year. So if, if some of these owners have to lose $50 million or even a little more than that, I'm certainly okay with it. But think about the damage that can be done to baseball if they don't have a season this year. And then what happens in 21. There are going to be a lot of people who are boycotting the game, I think a lot of fans. So it will be a slow rebuild. So they don't want to see this happen to their franchises. They don't want to see all of a sudden, you know, baseball take a dip while other sports are playing. So because of that, even though the sides are so far apart now, I think ultimately they will come together. But this idea that the top stars in the game should play for, you know, 23 cents on the dollar, I think is ridiculous. Hopefully they don't have to dip any lower than about 40% and they can find, uh, you know, some common ground there, and especially with the postseason. The postseason could be very lucrative. The players could get a lot of, could get a lot of money back then. Yeah, I hope you're right. Well, we're about uh, 11, 12 days removed from the, the last episode of The Last Dance, but it's still making some waves. you got Horace Grant out there saying that Jordan yeah. lied, he wasn't the leak, and the Jordan rule, Sam Smith, a, co a former colleague of yours at the Chicago Tribune, is saying Michael made some stuff up in that episode. How much bounce yes. back are you still hearing about that in the Chicago area? I thought Sam Smith had a very clever line, which he said, it was not a true story, but it was based on a true story. And I think some of that is a result of, you know, it's decades later and people remember certain things or remember things how they want to. There's no doubt that when Michael Jordan says at the end of episode 10, Jerry Reinsdorf and I never talked about the possibility of going for seven. That can't possibly be true because Jerry Reinsdorf, I, I went back and read a lot of the stuff. You know, there, there was a labor issue. So he gave Phil Jackson a bunch of time. He said, Phil, take some time off. And then months later said, hey, I know you and Krause have had huge problems, but is there any way you want to come back for another year? And he said that knowing that Michael had said, I'm not going to play for anybody else. 
And Phil Jackson was done, and I don't blame him. I mean, he maxed out that team, and he was completely sick of working for and with Kraus. And Rodman was tapped out, and Luke Longley was injured, and Scotty wanted to get paid, and Michael wasn't getting any younger. Phil Jackson knew when to end it. But the concept that they never talked about it, which is what Michael implied or just flat out said at the end of episode 10, cannot possibly be true. Now, beyond that, I, I don't know why Horace Grant got all uh, in a tizzy. Um, sure, Michael said that he was a source for uh, for Sam Smith's book, Jordan Rules. There were a lot of people who contributed to that book. Sam is close to Reinsdorf, close to Phil Jackson. Uh, he had a lot of people who were helping him on that book. Scotty Pippen comes out and says he's all ticked off about how, I guess, how he was portrayed. I don't understand why. Scotty's had so many dumb things in his career. He deserves to get some criticism, whether it's 1.8 seconds or or various uh, or various flubs. I thought he came out fine. Horace was fine. I wouldn't be trying to rip Michael Jordan if I were these guys. If there's one thing we learned from the last dance, don't cross that guy. <laughs> because he will get you back in the end. What's the old music line? Don't tug on Superman's cape. Something like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When are they going right. to learn? When are what they going to learn, Greg? No, I know. Well, what do you got? What do you got in the Hopper? What are you working on? So there's been more golf stories because thankfully uh, tomorrow uh, the state of Illinois finally allows people to ride in carts, and then the courses are going to be opening in Chicago next week. So we got that going on. Uh, kind of some other fun features, and I'm then I'm doing like a big picture college football story that attempts to answer all the questions as we head into June 1 and these voluntary workouts. But the truth of it is uh, there are a million more questions than answers. Uh, so we will certainly see uh, see about that as, as we head into next week in mid-June. I will, we'll keep an eye on your Twitter feed. We appreciate it. Talk again next week. Thanks, Greg. Be well. It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with seven-on-seven seven drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the off-season with some seven-on-seven seven of our own. Seven topics. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back. From sports. From Manning, seven touchdown passes. To pop culture. I never joke about my work, 007. It's time to go seven-on-seven on, seven on Sports Nightly. Here we are, another week of 7-on-7. Seven seven. You guys were talking earlier today on the SNBL stream that we had done 10 editions of Famous Dave's Face-Off, which seems crazy, but that's about how many times that we've done 7-on-7 seven seven since it made its return out of season. And we're, we're getting to the point now where we're pretty close to where it yeah. would have been in yeah. season anyway. It's almost yeah. in season. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's start out, and we start with a sports topic, one from this last weekend. I definitely enjoyed watching the match on Sunday. I guess you guys did, too, featuring Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning facing Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. The biggest storyline, I thought, was the weather, and one of the participants said he made a mistake in his attire. Brady had a long Instagram post the next day, and he said he had fun playing and made a bunch of other points, but he also pointed out that he learned that he shouldn't wear his, quote, Sunday clothes to golf in the rain and I'm sure that you guys have also made some mistakes when it comes to your attire at different points it doesn't have to be on the golf course necessarily but are there any times like that that you'd like to share with us (laughs) well I've never ripped my pants Um, (laughs) have any happened or are you just unwilling to share I, oh. I, I'm, I'm on the fence whether I should tell the story. Or not. <laughs> oh, now you gotta See, go. I knew, <laughs> I knew there was gonna be something like this. So I'm at my my wife's sister's wedding, and it was it was, it was after the wedding was over. We uh, offered to help stay clean up, and obviously I was dressed nice for the wedding. Well, when I offered to take um, all the trash out, I was taking something out to the car. And the place that we had um, that we had rented out for the wedding, there was these big, like eight foot tall iron gates. Well, they only opened from one direction, and nobody was out to open the gates. If that makes sense, no, we were all on the wrong side of the fence to open these big iron gates. So you like, oh, crawled off the fence. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just climb the fence. So hop up. Make my way like Spider-Man up on top of this 
like iron fence. You know, I'm talking about like, like almost like jail cell bars. That's almost what it was like. Shimmy my way up top. The obviously the top of this gate is like pointy spears, and so you have to make sure you clear the top of it. Well, yeah, lifted the leg over and whoop, there goes the seam of the pants. Wow. And so, <laughs> thankfully the wedding was over, but I, I you know, I was uh, the, the blunt of a lot of jokes uh, for the rest of the evening, but. I maintain that I saved the night by being the only one that was willing to climb this gate and let us all out of there and uh, do what we needed to do. You were the hero. Nice. I was. Yeah. My story is not nearly. Price, my story is not nearly as flattering. Um, just out of college, there was a group of work people were going to have a pool party, so I get a date, first date with this gal. We're there. Nobody's really getting in the pool, but there's like a couple of floaties in there mm-hmm. and somebody dared me to go you think you can get on that floaty without falling in the pool and I go oh, yeah I could do that well I got on it and then I I lost my balance and I fell turned in the pool over. turned yeah. her over <laughs> had to and go home without wearing swimming no tire. no I was not so I had to go back to my apartment change clothes oh. and come back needless to say that was the last date with that oh. young one, one and done huh yeah Kentucky one and done yeah <laughs> We'll move on to a, a different set of attire here. Uh, astronaut attire, in fact, astronaut suit. So NASA and SpaceX nearly pulled off history yesterday with the first privately funded launch of humans into space. Didn't happen, but Falcon 9 is going to try again in just a couple days on Saturday. So Elon Musk, the founder of SpaceX, said that about 10 years ago, he believes it's possible we'll have colonized Mars by the year 2030. Do you guys think that'll happen? And would you help colonize Mars if you were given the chance? If you wouldn't, what would it take? I think that's pretty aggressive to think that. Mars is so far away, even with these ships. It's, it's what, like eight, nine months to get there. I just don't mm-hmm. think people are going to want to do that. Uh, there was a time in my life I would have gladly signed up for a mission like that. I'm way past that point in my life, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I don't Fair know enough. enough about the subject to know whether that's aggressive or not. I know it's, what, 20... 20- we're in the 2020s now, so... Ten years, yeah. That's that's not a lot of time to get it figured out. Uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure what that will entail to colonize a planet either. But, yeah, I mean, it, many moons ago, I, I would be all for that. You know, jumping in that thing and, uh, you know, going to see what it's all about. But, yeah, I just... I, it's hard for me to believe that, based on my knowledge of what we know of Mars... It doesn't seem like something where, you know, you can just fly a construction crew out there and, you know, build a building and come up with the, the natural resources that it would take to survive on Mars. From the movies that I've seen, from the limited knowledge the I have on the planet. Yeah, The Martian, a little bit. It's yeah. a good movie. There's Matt no Damon. oxygen. Right? There's no oxygen <laughs> there. Right. So, I mean, you got to yeah. totally yeah. be in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I no, hope I Matt Damon's one of the first people. I mean, he seems like he is a good <laughs> idea, so start him out yeah. and see where we can get sure yeah. i would Elon watch Musk like a live been... feed like if we could set up like a right like a live twitter feed of people on mars yeah. i'd watch it <laughs> that's what i was gonna say i'm i'm at the point now where it's like it, sure if people want to do it that'd be kind of cool to watch but eh, do i want to go join them not right now i'm, I'm good for yeah. now so yeah <laughs> what all right moving on to uh topic number three this story coming from a couple weeks ago a woman snuck into Yellowstone National Park, which has been closed to visitors since March 24th. Not only did she sneak in, but then she was trying to take a picture of herself next to the Old Faithful Geyser, and she fell in, severely burning herself. She ended up being okay. She Park rangers were able to take her and uh, get her life-lighted to a hospital, but um, Old Faithful is 170 degrees Fahrenheit on average, so obviously it's nothing to mess around with. Do you guys have any stories, maybe not quite this extreme, but stories like this where some immediate karma came into play? Like you're breaking the law and then, or doing something bad and then you get banged over the head with something. It comes the, right the back. The guys are trying right to get us into trouble, Ben. We're trying to spill I, all of our dark secrets tonight. Right. Get us arrested. Uh, anybody been, anybody seen? I have. I have. And, 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 and there are a lot I'm of people not. that go there. And this is, this is really dark and blunt but a lot of people go there and take their life that's a common place for people to go do that she's lucky to be alive Mm -hmm. i have seen old faithful a handful of times i've been to to yellowstone quite a bit um my dad's actually from montana so every time we'd go up there we'd drive through the park 
but that's not something you want to mess around with. And mm-hmm. she's lucky to be alive. Right. Um, yeah, thankfully I mean, it's one of the not necessarily the hotter, like 170 degrees is hot, but like once you get up closer to 200 and above that, then that's deadly right there. So. Yeah. The only karma. thing I can think of immediately in terms of <laughs> karma is like, like when I get really ticked off at an inanimate object and like punch it. Yeah. And like it immediately hurts. Yeah. Like the Andy you know, Bernard like, wall. Yeah. Like you're, you know, you're <laughs> mad at something happens. Like you run into a door or something, punch the door and like, it's going to hurt it. And you end up just right. hurting yourself like that. I've done that a couple hundred times. Right. Yeah. Are you trying to slam and it That's, pops right back at you and yeah. bangs yeah. you in the nose or something? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah. That's the only thing I can really think of. I can't believe you guys tonight. You're trying to just get yeah. Ben and I to throw it all out there tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there are some easier ones coming up. We, you'll, it gets better from here. We started with I mean, the hard hitting ones. And we'll another on. thing, another thing that I thought of, and this is like, like I got into it one time with another team in baseball. And of course, they threw one at me, and it got me right in the kneecap, like ah. on the side of the kneecap. And you, you, you really want to make it seem like it doesn't hurt, but that is not a good place to get hit by a pitch. And it's not easy to not limp or show that you're hurt when they get you right on the kneecap. So I guess that was kind of karma. I had one like that too, where I was taking BP at a random baseball practice. We're talking about you know how tough we were being macho high school guys. We had to, and I decided to not move out of the way of a fastball coming at my ankle. That was not pleasant. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Well, we've tried to incriminate you guys a little bit, and maybe we're not done with it, but we'll let you <laughs> let you brag for a question here. So in, in these uh, times we're in with the COVID-19, there have been a lot of videos of people doing trick shots in various sports, even some people with the uh, ping pong balls, golf balls from the pots and pans and whatnot. Uh, one of the recent examples that Josh and I saw was a guy hitting a home run in fast pitch softball while facing the wrong way in the batter's box. Yeah. So did you guys ever learn any trick shots in basketball, baseball, or golf? Um, not definitely not in golf. I have a hard time doing regular <laughs> shots in that. Um, the closest thing I have to this is in college we had it, it's it's a better version of a Nerf hoop. It's like it, it comes with a backboard that's like plexiglass and like a spring metal rim. Like it's it's like yeah. a real basketball hoop, but it's a smaller version. So it's not just a little Nerf hoop. We had that set. We had a, a balcony on our apartment. On the inside, it was a like a balcony. I don't know what you call it—a loft. There you go, a loft. And so we put our hoop up there. And what we would do was we, you know, obviously play horse and stuff with trick shots around the apartment. This was in college. And standing on top of the loft, I I did a double bank shot where I threw it off one wall, banked it off another wall, and made it into the uh, made it into the hoop. And I was the only one that ever done. I mean, we tried probably a couple hundred times, and I was—I think I made it maybe four or five times. I was the only one to ever make it. So, you know, you know, I think anybody who maybe played like high school basketball, we'd always stick around after practice and try trick shots. And we used to practice a lot in in a gymnasium that had a stage at one end. Probably everybody's been a part of something like that. And you try to shoot, you try to stand on the stage and fire a shot like over the top of the backboard and get it to come in and. So we tried a bunch of that silly type stuff when we were pl- when I was playing high school basketball. Yeah, yeah. That, I kind of had the same thing in mind, Greg. I had a bas- the basketball hoop at my house. It was kind of next to the garage. It wasn't attached to the garage, but it was next to it. And so the way it was set up, I could shoot it over the the edge of the garage and make it yeah. pretty with pretty yep. much consistency because I knew the exact arc, and so I could impress people with that when they came over to my house. But play catch, that, and then, throwing the ball over the house. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Stuff I like did that. make a half court shot in a game once when I was like what? Nice. eleven. That's impressive. <laughs> My was, trick it, shot was at home. It was at halftime. It wasn't at the end of the game ah. to win or anything cool. It was at halftime. <laughs> but still take the bragging rights. Still made it. Yeah. My trick shot was in my parents' house. We'd play wall ball ping pong sometimes. I had to agree to it, of course. But I got really good at hitting it off the wall onto the side of the table mm. and then off. Yeah. Nice. Effective. Very good. Good, good stuff. All right, another one where you're not going to incriminate yourselves too much here, I don't think. But earlier this week, a 13-year-old boy from California named Jack Rico graduated from Fullerton College with four associate's degrees. 
He plans on attending the University of Nevada, and he'll obviously get a full scholarship there because he's pretty smart. A couple questions. Uh, what were you guys doing with your life when you were 13? Then also, if you could go back to college for free and get another degree on top of what you already have, what would it be? I would. I had kind of a minor in history when I was in school. I'd go back and get a major in history. I, I'm fascinated by that. At 13, uh, I, I would, if I had the same color socks on when I walked out the house, I was doing pretty well. <laughs> I saw that story about that kid. That's a it's crazy. At, at this time, when I was 13, I was in the heat of a of a baseball season, playing every day. So. <laughs> Really, baseball and wiffle ball were my only concerns at this time when I was 13. I, I, I've always wanted to be like a police detective, you know, like a, like a CSI, like a crime scene investigator. <laughs> Jake Peralta. Uh, yeah, I've always wanted to kind of do that. I feel like I, would be, I have the kind of mind for that. Um, but it's the schooling aspect of it, and then, and then the, what, like, what you have to do to get there, I think, would be... You know, too much for me to overcome. But in another life, that's what I would do. Love it. All right, question number six. So a few weeks ago, a man robbed a Dunkin' Donuts in Long Island. He stole money, not donuts, which honestly, that seems a little questionable to me. But anyways, he was able to make his getaway by using rollerblades. And then, to top it all off, according to witnesses, he pulled a ray from Field of Dreams by putting his finger in his coat pocket and pretending to have a gun. Hmm. So, pretty ingenious guy, even if, you know, he went for the money instead of the donuts. So, our last incriminating question of the night, what would your signature move be if you were a thief? Oh, jeez. <laughs> signature move. And, and be careful what you, you say. You said your finger was you, a gun. <laughs> be, careful what you, be careful what you say, because if you end up, you know, you could be tracked back to this if you go into a life of crime and, and use this See, signature I don't move you say today. move. Like, is that Remember? like getaway move? I mean, it could be like yeah, the like, bandits from Home Alone where they just leave the sink running. All right. Oh, so like a signature, like, I committed this crime type deal. Right. I did this. I'm, you know, this is the rollerblade bandit. Like, he got away on roller yeah. rollerblades. They know who you are, but they, they know, like, what you do, but they don't know who you are. Right. What are you doing? Man, I don't even know. The Home Alone guys, that was pretty good. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I'd probably leave something behind, but what would it be, though? What would be... Yeah, exactly. What's your signature? signature thing? Yeah, Greg, you should leave, like, a Sharpie, like a marker. Like, or, leave, or write... Sign your name that, or sign something with your Sharpie. That might be pretty incriminating. Dead right away. there. I mean, <laughs> that would be... I mean, it depends on how bold you want to be, I guess. Well, but. yeah, and how good your, how good the detectives are that are working the case. Well, if sure. I was working yeah. the case, you'd be hosed. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like it like okay so this isn't something that I would do maybe it would be I don't know but like if you've ever seen Dexter the first season like the first season of Dexter where the ice truck killer he kind of yeah. leaves behind like little clues like on purpose just to kind of shove it in the face of the police like if you could pull that off then then right. I think you're uh, you're a step ahead even though that spoiler alert if you haven't seen Dexter yet turn down your radio uh, guy gets caught and dies. So, you know, that eventually, so, you know, the... Thanks uh, a lot. Little, yeah, I said spoiler alert. But, yeah. You didn't give me time to pot down. Well, <laughs> Dexter's been out for 13 years, so if you haven't seen it by now, it's kind of on you. Sorry. Yeah. No, good stuff. I like that. Uh, moving on to our last topic. Uh, we wrap things up with an MC Hammer tweet from earlier this week, of all places. He posted a Hammer screenshot... Time screenshot of a study about aerobic recovery that says the hands on the knees posture results in superior heart rate recovery compared to the hands on the head posture hmm. so what do you guys think works better oh i'm a hands on knees guy all day god oh, i yeah. used to get so mad at coaches for saying <laughs> come on you're showing you're tired no yeah this feels exactly. better and i'm gonna <laughs> no, do this, this better i'm gonna keep my Don't. hands on my knees don't show a sign of weakness putting your hands on your knees. Can't yeah. show them you're tired. No hands don't on your me, hips. Don't tell me that feels better. It feels like I'm sucking in fire when I stand up and do that. <laughs> to, I always wanted to raise my knees. Now, Josh, yeah, you're a runner. To... Maybe you're diff maybe you got a different answer. No, I was going to say, whenever coaches told me that or when I'm done running and out of breath, my move is to just lay on the ground. That's that's the way to go. <laughs> that feels best. Just go yeah. straight to the grass. Hands Boston. on your head. Just on your... Yeah. 
I, ear. I bought into the uh, it looked tough, so I did my best to keep the hands off the knees. But oh, yeah, Ben's too, right. But... It, it feels so much better to put him on the knees, and I'm with Josh. Just collapse. Just fall down. Just give in. <laughs> yep. It's okay. Exactly. Oh, I'm having nightmares thinking about running wind sprints oh. right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, running up the hill. Sorry, that was a bad, bad way on. to end that. Those jerk Ooh. coaches. Bear crawling up the hill. You really think this is going to help me in the fourth quarter? You're wrong. <laughs> oh, wow. That was a, kind of a revealing seven-on-seven. Seven. What do I want to leave behind when I rob some play? I'm going to go goodness. check my house, make sure that the police aren't in my driveway. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> no sports on this weekend? We've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over 240 of them. Time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! All right, let's see what the guys have been watching or going to look forward to watching. Austin, lead us off. I'm still going through Brooklyn Nine-Nine, most of the way through Season 2, snuck a peek at Season 3. Very good. Very good. All right, I'm going to uh, be watching tomorrow Space Force starring Steve Carell and... uh, Greg Daniels, who was creator of The Office and Parks and Rec, also part of that show. So set to release tomorrow on Netflix. I've heard only bad reviews, but we'll see how it is starting tomorrow. <laughs> you on that nice. one, Ben? I, I am, I, I'll think about it. I watched, uh, I finished Outer <laughs> Banks. Uh, really good worth first it? eight episodes. Last two episodes, not a fan of at all. So I've kind uh. of mixed feelings about it. Um, so we'll see. And then uh, my next show is Waco. Going to get into that Waco show on Netflix. Mm. All right. Very good. I can't wait for part two of Lance, the Lance Armstrong story that aired Sunday night. This past Sunday night, they'll wrap up that 30 for 30 coming up this Sunday. I'll be watching that. And I started the uh, newest season of The Blind Spot, which uh, debuted about 10 days ago. So I'm back into that show that I've watched for a number of years. Good stuff from our flicks picks from the guys. Coming up tomorrow night again, our greatest games, Husker Baseball, as they take on the Michigan Wolverines from the TD Ameritrade Ballpark up in Omaha, part of the Big Ten Tournament. Hope you enjoy that one. We have another hour of Sports Alley coming up on the other side.